As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Midweek is tier three, so well, we're going to be talking Champions League and then a little bit of your Q and indeed A. The Q for tonight, Kristen. Good evening. And of course, the giant A for the night, Dave. Dave? Dave, you've got to unmute yourself when you speak, otherwise you just look stupid. Oh, yeah. God damn it. Yeah, I, I feel so stupid and right now. I said hello and everything. He and, said hi. Oh, it sort of went awkward. It was, that long, awkward Skype silence when someone doesn't unmute in time. Um, anyway, there's been some long, awkward silences in the Champions League this week. Guys, where do you want to start? Um, should we start with a big game? Barcelona hosted Man City. Uh, and in the end, Chris, it was a bit of a blowout. It was. They, they, I think Manchester City were punished for their mistakes in a very ruthless way and a way that I sense will have taught Guardiola a fair amount. But for me, the, the real talking point here is, is that we watched Claudio Bravo have a bit of a stinker um, in the sense that his red card, that whole situation, it just was a mess. Um, and we talked about this earlier in the season. It now begs the question once again, how... How strict will Guardiola be sticking with this tactic, with this style, with the roles that he has so clearly defined for his players? And in what instances will he perhaps adapt ever so slightly and say to his players that they can deviate from the script? Yeah, it's an interesting point, isn't it, Dave? Because tonight he really had to switch things up. And actually, they almost look better with 10 men because things had to switch up so much. And, it, they, they, you know, the individual responsibility almost became more because it felt a little bit like uh, very early on the system um, for Man City was it, it was working you know the pressing was working but then there was no end product after that because the players didn't seem to know how to attack so well Yeah I think the, it was quite an interesting game the City did look better with, with 10 men I think that was because they were more in situations that the players do well in like a lot of those City players look like they're more counter-attacking players and players that do enjoy it on the ball and talking Kevin De Bruyne I'm talking Sterling players that like to have free space to move into and free space to attack um, defenders in and it just seems like Guardiola is still going down this very heavy route where it could have been um, interesting if he had set up quite defensively and looked to hit on the counter-attack a lot of pace in that Manchester City side but he did press from the front but it was quite disjoint the press at the front looked good it looked like it was a sort of diamond similar to how Tottenham pressed Manchester City with sort of two players in forward positions it was uh, Nelito and uh, Kevin De Bruyne who looked like they were you know really pressing high but the problem with that is there was nothing after the press it felt really full frontal and if Barcelona bypassed that first line of pressure which they did exceptionally well through to Stegen playing lovely like clip balls to Luis Suarez and in sort of you know in the centre circle they had nothing and it looked like they were very very you know 1v1 against Messi, Suarez and Neymar is a a big big risk but City looked like against any player they would have looked you know sort of suspect at the back against them so it's one of those things where the wrong approach at the wrong time for Guardiola and unfortunately Claudio Bravo the red card really cost them in the end 
Yeah, ultimately also, Chris, the individual mistakes, not only Claudio Bravo, but also sort of some lazy looking defending every now and again, did leave them quite open. John Stones allowing Neymar to just waltz past him at one point, getting tied in knots, um, which you know, I guess is forgivable in a sense. He's coming up against Neymar. But at the same time, we, we, we see other players step up onto another level. Um, and we sort of assume that Man City are on the same level as Barcelona. But tonight showed the difference between the team that Pep squad at, got at City and the team that Barcelona have got. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. There's going to be a drop-off in that sense. It's it's unavoidable. I think in, in many regards, that's where he becomes truly tested as a coach and where, for perhaps anyone that doubts him, for anyone that thinks he's not as, as sh- tactically brilliant as, as perhaps his fans do, this is where he proves that that sentiment wrong and I think he he reaffirms his quality as a coach he finds ways to adapt around the bumps mm. and and also kind of mitigate if not diminish his his squad's frailties I think they're certainly present there you can see them um, I, I think to say it's simply a case of Barcelona having more talent that to me is is a little bit rudimentary and a little bit myopic I think there's so much more to it than that yeah, I mean, if we're looking in the groups now, obviously that puts uh, Man City just one point ahead of uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach, who um, obviously haven't got a great record in this group either. With the reverse fixtures, Dave, do you think that it's possible for City to make it through at the top of the group with Barcelona? I think they'll definitely make it through. I think they'll come to the games against Celtic and Borussia Mönchengladbach. I can see next week the Barcelona doing the same sort of job. Um on Manchester City, which is you know pretty much giving them a bit of a beating in a way, because it it just looks so they look so dominant, they look so fresh. Iniesta, uh, Messi, Suarez, Neymar, all look so good going forwards, and it just looked like City couldn't really deal with that. And also, you have Bravo the, now, so that overall system is done, isn't it? Yeah, in a way, you no know, Guardiola mentioning in his um, press conference afterwards or the interview after the game, saying that look. Um, Till the day that I finish coaching, I'm always going to ask my goalkeeper to to play football and to play out the back, which is a fair point. But in a way, sometimes when you pl- come up against Barcelona, who press so well, who you know, who know exactly what they're doing and move as such a fluid organism, it's difficult to, to play that same way. And sometimes you have to be adaptable. And unfortunately, Guardiola got caught out a bit that what his adaptability wasn't, you know, what it needs to be a bit better. I think he did the same thing, which what was so frustrating is he did the same thing. Uh, a few seasons ago with, with Bayern Munich where he went man-to-man with this Barcelona team, with Enrique's Barcelona team and they got absolutely hammered. And again, it happened on the same thing on the counter-attack. It's just one of those things where, you know, a, an old dog needs to learn new tricks. There is another way to skin the cat. And yeah, Guardiola has got possession football down to a tee, but maybe he needs to be more flexible in terms of his styles. Hmm. Mm. Kristen, uh, obviously, it, it, you know, it was all very fluid uh, for Barcelona tonight. It, the reverse fixtures, well, we'll find out what happens. Um, that leaves the group quite quite nicely poised, though, doesn't it? And I don't know why Dave is actually so sure about Man City going through, because, well, as much as Celtic might want to uh, sort of, you know, inflict another 3 all or something, or something along those lines... You know that they've still they're still within touching distance of getting a Europa League spot, even if it feels like you know the top of the group is out of distance. So it's not as if uh, Man City aren't going to be challenged by these teams, yeah, and they are vulnerable. So why can't Gladbach and Celtic both take them apart? I think that's a very valid point. I think you watch Gladbach tonight, as I did. They are a a very well drilled counter attacking team, or they're a team that can certainly play on the counter attack, and and they did so without Christensen in the heart of mid in the heart of defence, excuse me, and with Torgan Hazard missing as well. So they, you could argue, a little bit adaptable. Um, and I think for me, moving into that sort of final stage of this group, that's where it becomes so important to be adaptable and to be able to to maybe ride the bumps that get thrown in your way, the missing players, the suspensions that sort of thing. I think it would be very naive for Manchester City to to underestimate Gladbach and, and to a lesser extent Celtic. I think, honestly, when I look back at that Celtic game, there's part of me that thinks it was adrenaline that carried Celtic over the line that night. Um, Svichenko, the defender, talked about the need for their game tonight to have that kind of passion to it and, and have that intimidation factor. Um, that a full Celtic Park can bring 
I look at that City game and I see that intimidation factor and I just think that you put them in a situation where they are not the home team, they're not the dominant team in terms of atmosphere. I just think they come undone in, in a very similar way to to the, fact, the way they did tonight against Gladbach. Mm, very good point. Uh, Chris, what's your obsession with talking Hazard? Do you know, the, the funny thing is there are players that you, you just, you kind of, start watching and start following for very bizarre reasons. And and he was someone that I first caught an eye of at Zulfadahem in, in Belgium when he went there. Because obviously when he arrives at Chelsea, everyone and their their father thinks this is nepotism. Undeniably, this is nepotism. I don't think it was as, as straightforward as that. I think they did see a potential there. Um, now, the interesting thing and the thing that I wrote about this week is there's a buyback clause in his deal with, with Gladbach. At least that's what Chelsea claimed at the time and are claiming now. Gladbach, funnily enough, claim the exact opposite and say there is no buyback deal. And he's... Well, I mean, just take a look at the contract, mate. It'll be there. Mm, this is the funny thing. Um, he's just starting to hit form. He's playing in a different position now, for the most part. He's playing up front um, instead of maybe in attacking midfield where he, he usually did for Varahem and, and Gladbach early on. And it just seems to have facilitated him to being a bit more influential. And I think we're talking about Chelsea ushering in this new idea. I just look at that and think the, the reported buyback clause is 13 million. So let's just assume it's it's there, it exists. That's not a huge amount for a player that could have a very good career ahead of him and seems to be finally kind of developing into his own person and his own identity. I mean, he, yeah. he said in an interview with um, Christoph Terra, who very kindly translated his own article from, uh, from I think it was Dutch, into, into English for me, that he, he felt like that when he left Belgium, when he left Farham. But honestly, I think watching him now, you're starting to see someone who appreciates who he is as a player and has his own identity. He's, as he says himself, he's not a dribbler like Eden is, and he does defend a bit more. Um, which I thought was quite a funny thing to say. Mm. But overall, I think, yeah, he's, he's a good player. It was a shame to see him miss, miss out against Celtic tonight. Hopefully he'll be back for the, the next uh, game against Barcelona. Dave, obviously there's plenty more games going on in the Champions League tonight. Some really interesting results. Uh, we were watching the live game, so we only really got to cast our eye for moments across uh, Barcelona and Man City. Obviously, PSG with some interesting scorers uh, tonight against Basel, though. So not, a, you know, not the most formidable um, of opposition. Edison Gavani, uh, Lucas Moura and Angel Di Maria getting those goals. Arsenal thrashing Ludogorets uh, 6-0 at home, obviously. But Meza Ozil. Uh, with a hat trick in 21 minutes. So mentioned on the live stream that it, it could be his first hat trick of his career, and in fact it is. First hat trick the Mesut Ozil scored has come for Arsenal. Uh, you know, being at Werder and being at Real Madrid, but also being a little bit unsure in front of goal. But you know, tonight he's shown that he he can do it. And if if Mesut brought goals to his game, Jesus, he'd be the best player in the world well, he because has he been. has that. He has that ability to unlock a defence with a pass. And if he can just have that little bit of composure, you know, there's a few times that this season and the end of last season we saw him go through one-on-one and just not have the confidence to do it. But again, today's, today's form, is his ability to put the ball in the back of the net is, is very decent. But this Arsenal team is, is closing in on, you know, going very unnoticed. Very unnoticed, um, under the radar massively. So it, it, could be, it could be interesting to see where they finish at the end of the season. You know, I put them in my top did I put them in the top four? Maybe I even put them at fifth. But it seems at the moment like a big mistake, you know, with Theo Walcott in this form, Oxley chamberlain getting a goal and assist. Um, it looks good with Sanchez up front as well. So this Arsenal team is looking good, looking very, very good. And it could be the surprise package either in the Prem or in the, in the Champions League, whichever one it is, Arsenal will explode. And of course, that puts them in the driving seat at the top of uh, the group with Paris Saint-Germain, who are also on seven points equal on seven points, but their goal difference is inferior to Arsenal. Obviously, with Arsenal getting that six goal win tonight, one more win should get Arsenal over the line. Yeah, pretty much. Um, Because obviously they'd be beating the sides that would then stay at the bottom of the table. Uh, Chris, tonight, Napoli lost at home 3-2 to Besiktas. Mm, this was this was not a good evening for Napoli. Mm. Um, it's the first time Besiktas have beat Italian opposition in a European competition, um, which is a hard thing to say this late at night. Yeah, nice. Um, 
Abubakar is the one that makes a difference here. He he hasn't had the greatest start. I think he hadn't actually scored a goal for Besiktas prior to tonight, so he, he kind of decided to kick off his season in Naples. Um, it's, a, it's a difficult one for Napoli. Um, they're, a, they're an interesting team to watch. I think you look at the Milik injury and you want to say mm. that's what potentially derails their season. I'm not entirely sure of that. I think they had a difficult summer in a variety of ways. They they lost Higuain, obviously. I think the Koulibaly situation was actually quite destabilising for him um, and also the football club because, again, it's that idea of, yes, they didn't take the player, but they did kind of unsettle him a little bit with all that talk. Um, and I think, just in general, it's, it's a case of trying to manage a, a lot of moving parts and a lot of different competitions for Napoli, which is, is difficult for any club. Yeah, good point. Um, let's move on, Dave, uh, to where else should we go with this one? Um, you know what? Let's let let's let's do it. Leicester on nine points at the top of their group, Dave. Um, impressive from Leicester. Three performances, three wins. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. It's incredible what they're doing. Obviously, struggling in the Premier League, they've got more points in the Champions League than they've managed in the Premier League this season. So it shows that their focus is on. The Premier competition, and it, it, so it should be, um, you know, big chance for them. Can't really see them being anywhere near the top half of the table. To be quite honest, they just don't look very good in the Premier League. But it seems like they're coming alive in a pretty poor group, but a group that, you know, w- was was a bit of a test, and they've they've come over it with flying colours. And I think that they'll they will push forward, and they will. The thing with Leicester City is that they're a team that would do so well in the knockout stages, just because of how they set up, how they do look for those balls into the channels to Jamie Bardi and they do look to go direct with Mares, uh, who, who scored the winner um, last night. Uh, so it's, it's one of those things that Leicester City, they're trundling along in the Champions League and I think they will explode in the knockout stage and expect them to go far. Wow. Do you, Dave, just out of curiosity, you talk about the, the tactical element there. Do you think their opposition, whoever that may be, adapts the way that they play to, to try and stifle that? Because again, it's going to be a two-leg situation. So you could almost kind of sit off for, I'm trying to think which is the better one, sit off for the home leg and just take the nil-nil and then approach it in a different way when, when Leicester are at home. I think that's it's going to be, in terms of how Leicester City are going to play in term, at home, I think they will be really aggressive. You know, Leicester City, they do sit off at times during the game, but they also are quite, they were good, especially last season, in terms of pressing high as a unit. Obviously, the big part of that was Angulo Conte's work rate and his ability to, to cover a ground, and they haven't sort of found that yet. But they will find a, an answer, um, as it is, uh, you know, Danny uh, Drinkwater playing that aggressive role. Um, they'll find an answer there. But it, it just seems it, it, it could be an option. You know, if you do want to play against Leicester City in the, in the Champions League, you can't let space in behind. You've got to be able to deal with Jamie Vardy's runs. I think that's the big thing. If you can cut him off, if you do sit deep, what a great game. I'd love to see Atletico versus uh, Leicester City. That'd be a quality game because both teams have a similar approach and how they do press and sit back and, and look for the counter-attack and look for the space and the pacing behind. So that could be an absolute corker, like a 6-5 or something like that. So, yeah, it's, it's a definitely an option that teams could take. They could sit um, and then try and play at home a bit differently. Yeah, it's, a, it's a definitely a valid point. Dave there saying there's going to be a 6-5 uh, <laughs> of Leicester's legs. Okay, fair enough. Um, hey, anything can happen. It's Champions League. Um, Juventus sit top of their group with Sevilla. Sevilla, Chris, for this season, maybe won't drop into the Europa League. Now, wouldn't that be a turn up for the books? Um, it was actually a really nice goal. I don't know if, if you guys saw it as well. Um, it, for me, it was kind of the icing on, on what was a sensational performance from, from Nasri. If, if I can remember correctly, I think he had 156 passes, which is the most in Champions League game since Xavi in 2007. Wow. And look, I don't, I don't think Dynamo Zagreb are going to be in the final reaches of this competition. They're still involved and I think deserve a, a degree of respect because of that. So it's it's a very big performance from him. And, and in so many ways, you could argue he's followed the path of, of so many midfielders before him who go there, a bit like Benega, I guess. And sort of suffer a little bit of a rehabilitation or, or go through a little bit of a rehabilitation if you will and, and maybe get that confidence back and that feeling back and he seems to be be doing very well you know they got a draw last time out with uh, with Juventus as well they seem to be adapting to this competition fairly well yeah. um, 
even their kind of away form is is really not terrible when you consider that a they picked up this win in Zagreb, albeit by a very narrow scoreline. They beat Leganes a, f- a few days prior to that. Um, excuse me, and then going even further back to last month, they get that draw in Turin. It's it's a very impressive uh, period for for not just Sevilla, I think, but also for San Paolo. Uh, Dave, talk to me a little bit about uh, the situation that's happening in uh, Spurs group, where Monaco are topping it on just five points, actually, making this group a really close one, uh, with Moscow and Leverkusen just behind Spurs in second place. Spurs fielded a uh, strong side, and Wanyama again had a great sort of one-man uh, defensive midfield uh, performance. But obviously, the further up the pitch, you'd say that maybe Spurs didn't show enough body in this game or didn't show enough verve and at times it felt a bit like certain players drifted in and out when actually you needed someone to take the game by the scruff of the neck and take it at this uh, this strong Leverkusen side Yeah it was a real interesting game Spurs did did better in the first half and poor in the second half Leverkusen probably should have gone on to win the game you know, big chance for um, Javier Hernandez should have probably scored a fantastic save from Loris, but you've got to put that in the you put that in the corner. It's a goal. You put it in the middle of the goal save. Keesling had a similar effort um, a bit later on where it was a ball whipped in a similar like open sort of goal situation and completely fluffed his line. So it was a game that Spurs got a point out of. They did want to, you know, Pochino did say he went to to win the game, but unfortunately they didn't do that. I would say Wanyama was brilliant. Christian Eriksen um, and Ali were ahead of him in a sort of four-one-four-one shape. But the problem with with Eriksen in these sorts of games, when it's high press, high tempo, is that he sort of doesn't have that physicality to get out of those situations. And in these games, I'd like to see him further up the pitch. I'd like to see him on the left wing then, where he can drift in and get into the space when the press is, you know, where the press press is vacated, attack that space. Um, but Leverkusen were good. The back four was very good. Uh, Jonathan Tarb always impresses me whenever I watch him. Same with Kevin Kempfel. Um, Aaron Gies was very good. The Chilean who's come back from a horrible knee injury. So this Leverkusen side is decent, but expect them to probably fall into the Europa League. I think Monaco will definitely go through. I saw them against Tottenham. They were awesome. They grabbed the late draw at CSK Moscow. Uh, Bernardo Silva again, again getting, the, getting on the score sheet. He could be one to watch in the latter stages of the, the tournament as well. So I think it's going to be Monaco Spurs in that group with Bayer Leverkusen third. Can we take a second just to pour our sympathies out to uh, Igor Akinfev. Yes, absolutely, Chris. Go ahead. It's been a long while. He's now gone, I believe, 40 games in the Champions League without keeping a clean sheet. In fact, November 1st will be the 10-year anniversary of his last clean sheet in the Champions League. And as if you weren't feeling sympathetic enough to him and his plight, uh, Bernardo Silva scored in the 88th minute. So he was... uh, give or take two minutes from his first clean sheet. And you could see when Silva put the ball in how furious he was. I don't think just giving up a goal that means um, CSK don't get the three points, but also the fact that he's lost his clean sheet. Mm. Um, have we covered everything there? Is there anything we need to cover? I mean, Real Madrid sort of, it's, it's actually pretty boring against Legia Varsava. Um, I think the, the, the slight story in there is just the, uh, the emergence again of um, Marcus Asensio, you know, player that was uh, away on loan last season has come back and he's just stolen the show, you know, scored in his first, uh, I think, Super Cup game, his first La Liga game and now his first Champions League game. But he really ran the show. Um, in the first half, he completed more passes than Tony Cruz, which is pretty outstanding for him. For a central midfielder, considering how you know how good Tony Cruz is on is on the ball, um, and you know took his goal very well, lovely layout for Ronaldo, just an all round talented, talented player. And so it's going to be you know in the next ten years of world football is going to be at the forefront for Spain and for Real Madrid. Mm, very good point. Um, do you want to comment real quick on Dortmund? Obviously, Dortmund got an away win um, against uh, Sporting. Uh, they went up 2-0 in the first half, Aubameyang and Weigl, and they, you know what, they hit them early on, nine minutes in, Aubameyang just with a beautifully uh, chipped uh, goal, and then Weigl sort of hitting uh, Sporting just as they were coming back into the match. In the second half, eh, Sporting tried to fight their way back into it, um, but ultimately didn't have enough. Chris, you did think that Sporting at least had something in this, but I, I feel like it was the sort of the number 10 area that, that let them down. Yeah, definitely. Fantastic point. I, I think, I must confess, it was it was very much optimism that, that led me to that prediction based on what I had seen at um, 
the game against Real Madrid because they were so organised, they were so disciplined. What I forgot to, <laughs> to perhaps consider mm-hmm. is the frightening pace that uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has at his disposal. And, you know, you look, look at his goal and, it, it, again, it takes skill. I'm, I'm not saying that um, it's purely athleticism. It also frightens me how quickly he moves across the ground. Um, I, I think, you know, if, if I'm sporting and I'm trying to take a positive, I thought William Carvalho was, was fairly decent again. I think, you know, he's another one that... I sometimes wonder, and tell me if you disagree with this, the, the Jean Moutinho, Miguel Valoche, um generation bred a sort of uncertainty amongst us when it comes to, to Portuguese midfielders and, and how we view them and whether they are just flat-track bullies in their own domestic league. Um, that can occasionally turn it on when the Champions League cameras are on, and and at times I, I watched Carvalho and I thought, yeah, he, he kind of fits into that mold. He's he's great against Estoril or, or Paco de Ferreira, but can he do it consistently? Um, and and in fairness, from when I've watched him this season, he has been able to do that. There are certainly times I'm I'm a little bit uncertain with him. Um, Euros, he looked a little bit gassed at, at key points, but I think overall, yeah, he's he's a very talented midfielder, and I'd be surprised if if someone in that upper echelon of of European teams isn't tempted at some point this season. Very, very good point. Uh, well, uh, let us know your comments and uh, your thoughts on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you at the front three on Twitter. Um, Dave, before we move on, you've, you've won money, first of all, tonight. Um, but secondly, there is obviously the excitement mm-hmm. of uh, FanDuel for us. And FanDuel is, is going pretty well for some of our fans out there. Is it still going well for you? Yeah, I think so. You know, it's ticking along. Hopefully, I'll close in on the £1 million come the end of the next month. I think it's a good a good platform to, to get your players in and, and sign them up. I think this week, I think Ander Herrera may be a good shout. I don't think his price will be that high. Um, and has been running the show for Manchester United. Of course, FanDuel does take other actions other than goals and assists, so it could be a, a good thing to throw Herrera in there. Paul Pogba looks like he's going to explode. Again, Liverpool look good. Maybe you throw in a Mercedes Mane again. No, it's all, all exciting, all round exciting. Herrera is a good uh, choice, actually, Dave. He's only 6.7 million, which is actually uh, half of some of the guys who are doing really, really well in there. Um, and obviously, there's also the likes of Sterling in there, De Bruyne, uh, Coutinho is obviously a fantastic buy, and Payet is also a good one. But it's about finding those those matches in there. You can head over to FanDuel, and it's a little bit more detailed than other ones. You know, it's not just about the goals and all sorts of things. There's there's better stuff uh, to be judging the players on. So maybe it rewards you a little bit more as a good player of fantasy football. Um, don't don't just take the top guys. Get in there. You know, go in and find some of the more the more hidden gems, if you like. And if you do or haven't already uh, headed or gone over to Fanduel, then get get over there. Fanduel.co.uk. Put in our code. I am the whole. You sign up and you get a nice offer from us. Uh, but you need to be over there to get the offer. And it is a good offer, by the way. Uh, you you can get money back, um, and you can also. Uh, get matched on uh, the money that you put in. So FanDuel are generous in that sense. Uh, if you do head over there, uh, when you do put your money in and you are in the UK, then head over to the £6,000 fan favourite and you could win a share of that six grand, um, which is actually good. Now, uh, just earlier tonight, actually, Adam, who's not on the podcast night, did end up having a chat with an interesting journalist who's based in Madrid. Uh, it was Robbie Dunn who actually covers uh, all things Atletico, if you like. So uh, Adam spoke to him. Uh, you can find the link to Robbie's um, Twitter in the uh, description if you want to follow up on that. And of course, uh, we always enjoy having other journalists on. So thank you very much, Robbie, for coming on. This is Robbie speaking to uh, Adam. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. 
Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. About Atletico. So journalist Robbie Dunn joins me now from Madrid. Robbie, welcome to the front free. Hi, how are you doing, Adam? Thanks for having me on. Very well. Thanks for coming on. So we're here to talk about Atletico Madrid, of course. A 1-0 win at FC Rostov tonight. Uh, Rostov losing at home for the first time since May 2015. And Atletico Madrid taking a huge step towards qualification from Group D by keeping up their 100% record in the Champions League. What did you make of the game tonight, Robbie, and their performance? Yeah, it was... um... Typical of Atletico uh, this season, they've been quite attack-minded and it was always going to be that case against Rostov. It was uh, it went pretty much as I expected. We I, um, I discussed it with some friends of mine and we were talking about how it was never going to be a 3 or 4 nil. It was always going to be, there was only going to be a goal, a goal maybe two in it. it was, um, I was just looking at the temperature there, it was like two degrees in the deep south of Russia. Simeone had his big jacket on, Coca was wearing his gloves and... Rostov just kind of took the sting out of everything Atletico were doing. Atletico fluffed a couple of chances, but yeah, pretty much uh, it went exactly as we thought it would. Three points in the bag, and uh, yeah, nobody's going to be talking about this game. It, it come come the come the business end of the Champions League, but it's a vital three points, and it keeps them that step ahead of Bayern. Is a vital three points. Yeah, three one nil wins in a row now. Three clean sheets, and as you say, looks like it puts them in a good position essentially to to finish uh, top of Group D ahead of Bayern Munich. I mean, do you think they will end up topping the group? Um, yeah, well, I mean, it, it's going to come down to Atletico struggle against PSV in their in their first game that was in that was in Eindhoven. So they're going to bring them back to the Calderon. I'd imagine they get three points there and then they play Bayern at the Allianz Arena, which a draw is going to do them in order to, to 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 qualify at the top, provided obviously they beat Rostov at the Cal- Rostov at the Calderon as well, and Bayern win. So um, okay, so it, historically and in the in the recent past, Bayern have been favourites, but uh, and it's just a kind of a blip that they had in that one nil victory over over. Um, that Atletico had over them at the Calderon a couple of weeks ago might have been considered a blip but I'd have full faith in Atletico actually going to the Allianz Arena and getting maybe not three points but definitely definitely a point there so uh, and I I just think Atletico and I've written about this in in other places that I think Atletico are the best team in Europe at the moment so they'll be fully confident that they could finish top of the group I mean that's high praise the best team in Europe they are unbeaten though in 10 games this season Uh, before tonight they've won seven of them and I mean as we're saying they're three clean sheets in the Champions League I mean they've always been tight at the back under under Simeone but they seem to have added a certain attacking verve this season I mean they've scored four or more in the league three times this season whereas last season they only managed that once I mean what's changed or what's evolved under Simeone at Atletico this season? Yeah so yeah, and and this is something that I wrote. They, they they drew their first two games, the first one against Alaves and the second against Leganes, two newly promoted sides, two two teams who have since proved this kind of wrong. And I know there's only we're not even halfway into the season, but Alaves are doing quite well, and Leganes are not as bad as people thought they would be. But they drew those those first two games, and everyone was calling for Simeone to change it. I mean, he's got four of. Maybe not savage, but in, as a collective, uh, he he fits right into that. He's got four and one of the best goalkeepers in Europe at the back. It was kind of like um, uh, lo- loosen the reins a small bit, let them let them play a little bit of football. You've got Diego Godin, you've got Felipe Luis, you've got Juan Fran, you've got All Black there. You are safe. Just let the team play. He was he was playing. He was playing Gabby and he was playing another defensive-minded midfielder and then with Koke out on the left in a four. Koke has since come inside and is absolutely dictating every game that he plays now. He's he's creative, he's a 
bundle of energy. He's he's he 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 moves the he moves the he moves the chains, as they say in American football. Uh, he he's he's just they're they're uh, they're they're sparked there in the middle of the field, and then so in place of him out on the left, they now have Yannick Ferreira Carrasco, who has scored uh, f- five goals in his last four games, which is equals the number of goals he scored in the fifty prior to that. He's on fire. He's he's um he's just phenomenal this season. He's out on the left, providing that width, helping Felipe Luis on the left. Um, and then you've got down the right hand side, you've got um well Angel Correa or Griezmann, whoever whoever is happens to be playing on that side, with Coca in the centre, and then maybe a, a defensive Gabby or Saul, depending on who it is on that day. So you've got loads of width, loads of creativity in the centre. Griezmann up front and Gamero lightning quick, so you can't ever um, you can't ever uh, uh, rule them out in terms of getting in behind your defence and things. They're just playing some phenomenal phenomenal football at the moment. And Simeone has loosened the reins, and he and he he's put his trust in his back four and all black, and he's they are reaping the rewards. Yeah, and you actually wrote a very interesting piece earlier this week on News Talk about how Atletico Madrid are essentially looking more assured than ever at a time when there are some question marks potentially over Barcelona and Real Madrid's identity on the pitch. Well, watching Barcelona last weekend, um, he's got Alex Vidal is after falling out of favour. He was kind of in and out and but it's pretty. It's it's almost been as good as confirmed now that Vidal will be gone in January, and if not gone, he'll be sent down to the very depths of the squad, or maybe train with the reserves or the twenty or the B team or the twenty ones or whatever they happen to do, do there. But um, he had to go for three four three because Sergio Roberto, who's his other right back option, is injured. Jordi Alba on the left was injured, and. He was rushed back actually tonight and got taken off after 10 minutes. Now, I didn't see that game because I was watching Atletico, but I presume if he was taken off after 10 minutes, it wasn't because he was playing poorly. He's after re-injuring himself. He's after switching to, he's after switching to a 3-4-3 and he's, um, they're not entirely, Sergio, okay, I'm not going to go and, and slate Sergio Busquets. He's an excellent, one, probably the best uh, defensive midfielder in, in Europe and the world. But he was going through a kind of a difficult spell and, and Messi was injured and they were relying heavily on that front three, which is absolutely fine. That's what you do when you have three world-class players up front. But in defence, they, they weren't entirely sure what, not that they're not entirely sure, what, but it just seems like, they're an injury or two away from a full-blown crisis. They're not. They haven't got a settled eleven um, and, and things like that. And it's the same with Real Madrid. They're an injury or two away from a, a crisis. Uh, Casemiro has been playing there, and uh, a lot of the time, like we saw with Makélélé leaving. I mean, Perez, who 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 we believe uh, dictates kind of at some level who plays and who doesn't play. Casemiro got in there and was proven himself to be kind of a, a, a vital cog in that wheel. He got injured and all of a sudden you're left with you're left with like the likes of uh, James, Isco, Cruz, Modric, all excellent midfielders in their own right, but they don't have that kind of defensive minded um destroyer, I suppose, like they had in Casemiro. So likewise their midfield is an injury or two away from full blown crisis. Um, whereas Atletico, they have got they uh, they've got the strength and depth. They've got in place of one front, they've got Sime uh, Versalco, who came over from Sassuolo in the summer, who's who's been excellent anytime he stepped in. Granted, he's only played a couple of times. They've got uh, Jose Jimenez. They've got Lucas Fernandez, two of the best up and coming um, young defenders in in, in world football, and they've been excellent when they come in. And I could go through the whole squad. They've got excellent. They've got excellent strength and depth. They've got options. Again, tonight, they switched Angel Correa for Gamero. And within five minutes of that switch, they were goal up. And um, they were off with another three points. And it just seems like Simeone's got options. He's got uh, he got a few tricks up his sleeve. They can play defensive football and, and, and shut people down. And they can also go on the attack when needs be. It's kind of like when, when you ever play football manager, like I often think it is, as to... As to how fluid you are at how many different uh, tactics and formations, and if you looked at 
Atletico right now, they'd be fluid in probably two or three in the four three three, four four two, maybe a kind of a four two three one with Koke as the number as the number ten. Mm. I mean, they've got options, they've got strength and depth, and um, they all seem to be on the same page, which I just can't say for Barcelona and Real Madrid right now. I think you make a good point there in terms of the balance as well. You're saying that Real Madrid and Barcelona haven't quite found that balance yet this season, struggling with, with injuries and selection issues. But like you say, Athletic Madrid absolutely rock solid at the back and Simeone's managed to, to encourage uh, some more attacking football as well. I mean, you describe them as the best team in Europe and as you say, we're not that far into the season. But do you yeah. think looking at this team and looking how they're shaping up, looking at that, that balance that perhaps this season could be the season once again where they go that extra step further. We obviously saw them get into the final of the Champions League this year. Do you think they could go that extra step further and potentially win it? And similarly in the league, can they once again become champions, do you think? Yeah, I would have to say yes. And I, I mean, as you say, it is early, early doors. But I don't think I've seen a team as resilient as Atletico in, in, recent, in recent memory. I mean, they got beaten in the Champions League in 2013-14 final by Real Madrid despite winning the league they had a really a really poor year by their growing uh, increasingly high standards the year after they came back got to a Champions League final next year uh, um, when everyone figured it was a flash in the pan um, they had sold Diego Costa Felipe Luis was gone players like that and everyone figured that that was Atletico's uh, day in the sun and that's it their 15 minutes of fame are over they they evolved at that point, came back, made it to another Champions League final, and Juan Fran said he was the one that missed the penalty in the final that uh, ultimately led to them being beaten. He said that we will win a Champions League. It's it, it's 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 what they live for, like you know. And I know that's kind of maybe a little bit cliche, but they are absolutely adamant that they're going to win a Champions League, and I genuinely believe that they can sense that there's something big coming down the road. They can see. Kind of like last year in the Premier League, some some of the teams, City, were, weren't kind of um, uh, firing on all cylinders, a mm. couple of teams like that. Atletico, Atletico um, know that it's theirs for the taking. They know that they can go and if they, can, if they, if they want, they can grab it. So, um, yeah, essentially, I, I think they could. And I, it, it's silly, it might sound silly. <laughs> at the end of the year, you can have me back on and you can, you can, <laughs> uh, you can throw all these back at me. But I think they're... They are um, in a good position right now to be definitely favourites for the for a, 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 a treble. Wow, that is a mm. big shout, big bold shout there from Robbie Dunn in Madrid. Robbie, thank you so much for joining us on the front three. We'll definitely be speaking to you again very soon. But until then, where can the listeners find more of your work? Uh, yeah, just uh, find me at Robbie J Dunn on Twitter, and yeah, come and say hello and Opa Atleti. Excellent stuff there from Robbie Dunn and Adam. Thank you very much for coming on, Robbie. If you want to head over there, uh, hit Robbie J Dunn on Twitter. Well worth a look. Um, now, guys, let's get down to it. There are some uh, there's some good questions that we've got in tonight. Uh, and after all the Champions League excitement, we get a little bit gassed on the show. And we like to get your questions. Uh, Chris has been very active for TF3 this week, so it's good to have uh, you on, on. Finally, we got Chris a login for the, the Front 3 Twitter and as you can see, it's already better. They're already... And what was my first act? To accidentally include my own account in the tweet. <laughs> That's not awkward at all. Um, of course, accidentally, yes. Um, uh, there, there are some really good questions in here, so let's just get straight down to it, guys. Um, don't forget, head over to FanDuel, hashtag I am the whole, put in the code, I am the whole. What current examples, this one's from Harry Chamberlain, what current examples are there of triquatistas? This was a term which has been made popular, of course, by um, by football manager more recently. Not many people use that as a term, but it's become more popular, Dave. Are you a there's fan a, of the Triquatista? And is it still a prominent role? Yeah, well, there's there's a young lad over in, uh, I think he plays for Roma, uh, Francesco something. Francesco. No, I, I don't have his second name, but it's Francesco plays for Roma, who's, uh, you know, He's doing pretty well at the moment, big impact off the bench, um, and really you know, carrying Roma, who have been pushing on quite well so far in Syria under Spalletti. Uh, in terms of young ones, Chris, have you got any, any young Tricotistas that you'd like to throw forward? It does seem like quite an advanced role, doesn't it? So it would be unusual to have a Tricotista, but that, yeah. I think uh, I was going to say not a young one necessarily, but I kind of consider Mesut Ozil. When I, when I define 
what that position is. He he is sort of that. It's someone that plays in that number ten role, but then also advances past the forward and and contributes with goals. Now, in fairness, he doesn't get as many goals as, as maybe others would like, but I think there's there's definitely elements of it there. Mm. It's kind of someone who plays. Uh, the best way I can think of describing it is a a withdrawn role from the from attack. Mm. It's like a forward with midfield duties, almost. Yeah. So, Paulo Dybala from uh, Juventus. But then he gets quite far forward, Dave, so he can't really be mm. a Trocotista, can he? I don't know, yeah. I think the Trocotista, it's, a, it's, a, it's an older um, position. Now we're seeing players like Antoine Griezmann that are more hybrid midfielder, goal scorers, than the Trocotista, the hybrid mm. forward I guess, I guess, creator. Yeah, that's the thing, is there, it, it's not, you're, almost, you're, almost, you're encouraged to go forward now. So it, it, it's almost coached out of you in a sense, or it, it, coaches don't require it so much. You could say players who are good, who would be good to I feel like Tony Cruz would be a good tricotista. Potentially you could say maybe, in a way, Roberto Firmino is yeah, a little bit of a tricotista. Mm, yes, so then again, he's a, you'd say he was more of a false nine, right? Could could you class Modric as a tricotista sort of role? Nah, he's, he's a lot deeper, isn't he? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, he's yeah. No, you're Midfield right. metronome. Yeah, you're right. Uh, let's go for another question here, shall I we? I think in years gone by, Griezmann would have been considered that. I think it's a role that's kind of... This is the thing, is, as time goes on, we we really do narrow down the different ways in the, the different ways in which positions play to the point where maybe what was a Trek, trek Artista now is not uh, you know five years ahead of time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, this is a really good point, actually, Chris. Um, hmm, let me put it here. Varun Joshi writes in. This is a really good one. Um, who is the best current player to not win the UCL? Uh, he, they did this on the Two Substitutes podcast, apparently. Anton uh, Griezmann. Interesting. Uh, Dave, straight off the top of his head there. What about you, Chris? Hard to look past Griezmann, isn't it? It is. Uh, I'm trying to think of other people. Um, Kevin De Bruyne would be up there as well. I would suppose so. Uh, anyone else out there? I mean, who else could you put in? Because a lot. The thing is, a lot of the best players have won it, um, mm. and they're in that that top list uh, because it's also been shared out more recently than maybe we think. Um, has Alexis Sanchez ever won the Champions League? I don't think, but he won it when it Barcelona. When he, oh, he was at must Barcelona. have won it at Barcelona, Dave. I don't think he did. I think he was in the period where they didn't win it. Let me double check. Yeah, you probably want to double check that one. Um, obviously, Luis Suarez has won it. Obviously, uh, Neymar, Messi have both won it. Uh, is it? It's probably Premier League players, really, isn't it? That haven't won it. Pogba's yeah, won no, it. no. Uh, Alex, Alexis Sanchez hasn't won it. He's won yeah. Liga Copa del Rey, Super Copa de España, uh, UEFA Super Cup, and the FIFA Club World Cup. He basically came in 2011 after that Barcelona team that destroyed United. That is unfortunate. And of course, he went to Arsenal to win a Champions League. So that's awkward. It's all time. It, absolutely, Dave. That's the positivity that we're looking for. Uh, thank you for a good question, Varun. I'd also love to uh, hear the question on your podcast. Uh, Lawrence, as you mentioned the NBA previously, uh, what do you think of KD decision? Um, I think he was advised well to go to a team where he probably will win a championship but I also feel a little bit like he should have I mean Kevin Durant and his move to Golden State uh, I think he'll be a massive hit there but at the same time I feel like he, uh, people are going to feel like he let the other teams down uh, by not maybe sharing around some of the uh, talent if you like anyway um, which sometimes you feel is a little bit the case at, at Barcelona um John says, why doesn't there seem to be uh, talk about Diego Costa being one of the best players in the EPL this season with seven goals in eight games? Anyone want to answer that one for me? Uh, I think I mentioned it on our live show, Lawrence, didn't I? I said, Diego Costa's at Chelsea, and you were like, nah, Chelsea will get bowled over. Yeah, I think he's um, he's gone back to the Diego Costa of old that's now... I don't know, it seems like defenders seem to have forgotten what he does, go into the left channel, cut onto his right foot, and he seemed, that seems to be working again. It's like it seems that they've just like forgotten that Diego Costa always seems to do that. He always seems to pull that move. But it seems like Chelsea are more geared towards being a slightly more direct, maybe, and involving him more in the play. 
Um, so I think it's with Chelsea's forms improving, Diego Costa's forms going to improve. But there are reports actually today that he's fallen out with Conte, which again would be quite interesting. <laughs> it really would not be in Conte's interest to fall out with Diego Costa right now. Um, no. People always love uh, going on about that. Um, Alex Skolitsen says, uh, do you guys support your rival clubs in European competitions? Absolutely not. Really? I kind of... I root for United in Europa League. Don't do it, Lawrence. They're uh, evil. Chris, what about you? Do you root for Sunderland when they're, when they're in Europe? It's not anything I've had to consider, yeah, which exactly. is not a dig, it's just the truth. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, you know what I do? I do not all teams. I'm, I guess maybe it's just because I know a little bit more about them or I sort of follow them a little bit more closely. You end up just feeling a little bit more for the players or less. Because obviously when um, Ashley Cole went to Chelsea, just really didn't like him. Um, this one comes from Dan. Uh, how would Leicester's season be reviewed if they won the UCL but got relegated? An amazing season or not? Of course, an amazing season. Um, mm. It's not really a hard question, is it? Um, hashtag I am the whole. Thanks, Dan. We appreciate your question. It is a good question, but it is a, it's it's a concept which we don't really need to worry about. Um, but Mohamed Akrel says, uh, what do you make of Arsenal's attack? What kind of system do they play? Quite fluid. Correct, Dave? Yeah, I think it's quite fluid with, um, you know, Sanchez is playing this sort of striker role again. Um, I mentioned that it could be good for him to play as a second striker behind Giroud, but maybe not as a striker, but he has looked really, really good. Um, you know, you've got Mezit behind as a number 10, as the sort of the creator. But again, today, he was running ahead of Sanchez at, at times. And, you know, two of his goals came from counter-attack, which looked really good. And again, Alex Awobi, I'm a big fan of Alex Awobi, very talented young um, midfielder who is very comfortable inside, very comfortable on the left hand side, and then on the right hand side, it's you know it's Theo Walcott at the moment who is again busting a gut to to get him behind. So it's got the right sort of foundation of players coming to the ball and players going away from the ball, but it's looking very very good. And with Santi Cazorla pulling the strings from deep, whew, decent side, very decent side. Okay, uh, let's look a little bit further down here. Did you, uh, Kareem Solomon, an uh, excellent contributor to uh, Twitter this week and to obviously our video content, do you think will be a UCL winner from a league other than the Big Five anytime soon? If so, where will they be from? Ooh, you're going to have to be looking. Obviously, that's uh, it's difficult to see, isn't it? Just because of the funding for those top sides and the, the strength of the squad and the depth of them. It just shows later on, doesn't it? Uh, where would... It's got to be side potentially like a you know a Russian side or potentially Benfica who have looked good in recent years in the Champions League and have produced a lot of talent. You know, Renato Sanchez being the last um, on the conveyor belt, but it is that, that they have to get to a stage where they have got enough money in the bank that they can start to to keep talent like that, and then they will sort of push forward. There's a few players coming through at the moment that are you know have the sort of the sky is the limit for them, and same with Sporting in a way, but it's just just difficult because like you mentioned before. The big clubs come pinching and they just steal all the good ones. Um, this one's a good question. Uh, Jed Brandon says, uh, how does Tottenham become more clinical with their finishing? Chris? Um, I think what I would like to see relative to Tottenham is their shot location data. Um, yep. If I can deviate into the analytics for a second, I think you can often learn a lot from that. Um, and in terms of whether the team is taking its best opportunities and actually giving itself the best opportunity to score. Assuming they are, um, I think, honestly, it just comes down to quality of player. I, I don't think this is one thing. I mean, I look at, and it's only because I know him very well, Musa Sissoko, he's not really a goal scorer, as I know him. So you've got to question if that's part of the problem. I think, honestly, looking at Spurs this season... I just debate if they're putting in enough crosses for someone like Vincent Janssen. To me, he seems a very traditional forward and someone that really needs service from wide if he's going to make the most of his talent. It's been a lot of stuff into feet. Now, that works sometimes. I think if you look at the game against Middlesbrough, the goal for Son is off the back of some really smart holder play by Janssen. That's not really doing a great deal for him now. And when Son's maybe not doing what he's supposed to or performing to the level we expect, that's when maybe you need to just adapt and tweak things slightly to, to give everyone a chance to score. Very good point. Um, 
says, Matt Forti, Fortier says, uh, why is Leicester prioritising the UCL a bad thing? Likely they won't make it uh, again in the near future. Why not cash in? It does make a good point, although you'd be maybe more savvy to try to have a longer term medium range in the league and sort of focus on staying at the very top level so that you don't have uh, maybe some short term uh, gains where in the long term you just crash out of both massive competitions including the Premier League because you essentially burnt out um, although maybe you could also make the argument that making memories for your fans is incredible and that's what you want to do um, why isn't this is interesting uh, why isn't the 96 to 98 Juve side ever mentioned as one of the greatest ever despite reaching three Champions League finals I think there was a lot... question from Fabrizio, by chance. <laughs> I, I mean, I do sort of think... It was from Gabriel. Uh, I do think uh, that league was marred somewhat at that time by what was going on uh, behind the scenes in terms of you know money and drugs and all sorts of things. I think some people sort of saw that as uh, doping in many different ways and that the corruption sort of ruined the on-field thing. I... I think essentially it's a question of the Italians were just stupid enough to get caught. They're not the only ones who are um, doing that. But I mean, it was a great side, wasn't it, Chris? I mean, that was a very powerful team. And, and he's right in saying, you know, they reached three CL finals. They did. I think, in fact, one of them was the first Champions League final I can remember watching. Um, yeah. So... Gabriel must be a, a decent age as well, I can assume. Um, <laughs> at least in his late 20s. Yeah, at least. Um, it, you're right, it is a good squad. I, I think maybe maybe the reason he's saying that is partly because he's looking with the clarity of hindsight. And you look at some of the names in there, you look at Conte and Zaghi, Del Piero, uh, Deschamps was in there as well. You had, Jeez, I forgot about Deschamps. That's Zinedine Zidane. Zidane and... and Davids, I think, was in that year as well, and Chiro Ferrara. The, even Angelo Peruzzi, someone who, again, you could argue fits into that mould of someone that maybe isn't discussed as, as highly as he should be, given the, the career and achievements that he had. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's a fair point. I think if I'm trying to form a case against them, it's that often now, I think, when we look back historically, we try to focus on the teams that either broke from the convention of their time or advance the game in some way. And I'm just not sure if that event decided that. I think accomplishment-wise, they did a good job. Um, they were more docked, right? They were more like, you know, Lippi um, is, is a defensive manager, and, and that's how they set up. You know, they did have the talents of Zidane, of Del Piero, of X, Y, and Z, but it was his systems were to negate the opposition and try and get that advantage. And it's a very good way, and it is the Mourinho-type way, and I do like that approach. But I think that's why they weren't remembered, because they didn't play, like Chris said, they didn't play an expansive style, or they didn't play a style that was well-known. They played a style to win the game. It was very, very Italian. So it's one of those things. Very, very interesting. You know, they, played the, they played a 4-3-3 against Ajax. They played a 4-4-2 diamond against... Uh, Borussia Dortmund and then they played a 3-5-2 against Real Madrid so they were tactically very very diverse and a very interesting side I think as as well is you have to remember that the old saying that, that history is often written by the victor and of those three finals they only won one and we've talked about even fairly recently that Argentina side that lost three finals in a row and how despite the exceptional talent that they have and the fact that they played some beautiful stuff at times most notably in the, the Copa America group stages this year, they played some beautiful stuff. They tore teams apart. They didn't achieve the pinnacle or they didn't win. Um, and, and yes, Juventus won one of those three, but they lost two as well. And I think that, that goes down in, in the history books and in, in terms of how we remember them. People Please says, uh, form is temporary, but class is equally temporary. In modern football, uh, new managers' philosophies only uh, seems to only do it for two to three years seems to be focusing just on um, on maybe a Mourinho or Bielsa-esque sort of um, uh, philosophy there because obviously it does burn players out. I don't think it takes away from the class. I think quite a few players have performed at the very top level for a while, but it is true to say, Dave, that there are a few managers out there who are like supernovas at each club and Mourinho is the most obvious example of that most recently. 
yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. It is a, I think with managers especially, it's, it's difficult to. The, the issue with the manager, it's being, it's that longevity, and that is the hard thing to get. That is the thing that separates you from the good managers to the great managers. Obviously, Sir Alex Ferguson um, is definitely in the the great managers category because of his, you know, how long he was there. But it, I do think some managers have tactical ideas that work in some tactical environments, and unfortunately, when the tactical environment changes they don't move on with it. And that's the thing. You've always got to evolve yourself as a manager. And that is the big, going to be the big test at Manchester United for Mourinho. And I hope he passes it with flying colours. The next step is next evolution of how Mourinho can, you know, move forward. And again, it's, it's very interesting. Like Guardiola. Guardiola needs to evolve again at Manchester City. Yeah, I mean, I also think it's a case of saying that um, just because a manager's left a club doesn't mean that his blueprint or his philosophy does not remain there. Mm. We saw that at Chelsea yeah, exactly. for almost a decade. Um, that, you know, after Mourinho left, he laid the foundations for other managers who then went on to win Premier Leagues, FA Cups. You know, Carlo Ancelotti came in, Hidden came in. Um, Champions he, League. Champions League, all, all sorts of things. Because he laid the foundations with Czech and uh, Terry and Lampard and other players, and essentially gave people a work ethic and a, um, a belief. It's, a dog, it's just dogged, wasn't it? It was so dogged. You go back to the Champions League that they won when they when they played Barcelona. Their system looked so much like how Man United played against Liverpool on Monday night. It was the same thing. Yeah. Like a back six, two central midfielders, one player off another player. Press when they get the when the opponents get into the final third. Um, and cover the fullbacks. And it was the same approach. But that was you know, that's very Mourinho-esque. And again, that was the team that won the Champions League under Di Matteo. Yes. Um, which, oh, interesting questions coming in. Um, uh, Fireway friends, says Kristen. And some of his friends have replied. Um, someone said, did uh, Testegan get paid off tonight? Um, no. Um, if a manager of your club got sacked today, who would you like to hire? That's from Carlos, and he says he would go for Pochettino. Uh, interesting that you think you could tempt Pochettino to your club. Who would you I guys go for? saw this question and hated it. Um, <laughs> because it was the equivalent of being asked, if things didn't work out with you and your current girlfriend, who would you like to date instead? Got you. That's how I feel about Rafa Benitez. Yeah, because you're very happy with Rafa. Oh, I'm bloody delighted. Yeah. And the the thing is, you know, you know, people may look at that in, in real simple terms and say, oh, they're winning, of course. Not in the slightest. For the first time since Chris Hewton and going back after that, Sir Bobby Robson, Kevin Keegan, I have a manager that I'm genuinely proud of. And not even because of what he's achieved. People, again, will think, oh, well, he won the Champions League. This makes sense. He has a great run. Not in the slightest, again. It's all about the fact that he engages with the community. He is so respectful. He mm. is just a very nice person. And he never blames anyone else. He takes responsibility. And it's just, it's very nice to see. It's very nice to have a, a coach at the club that that almost seems to respect not only supporters, the club that they're at, but the opportunity they've been given, they see it as sort of a, you know, I've done well to get this opportunity. And I think that's what everybody wants at the end. They want to feel as if their club is valued by the person that is in charge. Yeah, very good point. Um, yeah, having said that, Dave, who would you want? Um, Portuguese manager, named by Jose, second name Mourinho. No, I think I, I, I echo what Chris is saying. It's a bit weird. I would like uh, Thomas Tufel. Uh, Thomas Tuchel or Pochettino I think they'd be two very good options for Manchester United oh, but I'd like Mourinho to stay there for 20 years good luck with that uh, is Umtiti reaching world class level Dave very quick yeah I think so it was excellent excellent tonight brilliant performance against Manchester City did everything right closed the space at the right time made the block when he needed to went wide was brilliant on the ball yeah absolutely fantastic a big fan of Samuel Umtiti uh, Matt Brownie Cake did ask uh, how four games without a win are City in trouble? We have kind of answered that already. Um, I personally do think there is a little bit of trouble there because the individuals don't seem to be able to be able to uh, enact the system that, he, that Pep wants, but there are other ways to look at it as well. Uh, what is the reason for Arsenal's recent upturn in form? Sanchez playing up front and Walcott finally proving his worth? That one also from Matt Brownie Cake. Uh, it's just it just make a good point there. Um, I think it's just the the players, isn't it? They're, they're playing every week. They're playing together as a team. The, the team's not changing too much. 
and especially with the front four players and they look like they're in form they look like they're confident I think it's just that team chemistry in it almost good point uh, where else can we go with this one uh, John Shin hey John how you doing good guy um, is Pep missing jo- Joe Hart right now anyone want to look at that if anyone else want to mention Joe Hart out there poor old Hart yes uh, <laughs> although yeah I kind of feel like live by the sword die by the sword and Pep prefers to live by the sword uh, than die by sort of yeah, British gun. Um, how does Pep come back from this form? Uh, does he need to adjust the system a bit or are personnel just not performing adequately? That was from Russian Roulette. We've, again, sort of answered that one already in our conversation. Um, Aguero. Yeah, very good point there, Dave. Simple. Get him in the side. Uh, we've also sort of answered uh, Alden's question, which is, could City slide into third in this group? Kind of. Uh Leicester, there's got to be another question here somewhere which we can finish on, which is very uh, positive and strong. Uh, This one's a good one. Uh, Is the media rhetoric uh, that Liverpool versus United was boring just an example of lazy journalism? I enjoyed it, said Osbert Moore. Dave? Yeah, massively. It was a very interesting game tactically. And I think that's one of the positive things of the Premier League this season. We're going to see a lot of contrasting styles. But for United to keep Liverpool to, you know, to get a clean sheet away at Anfield in their current form, you know, is well done, Sozo Mourinho. And I think well done to the United players. But also Liverpool players were, were good. You know, that Coutinho shot from the edge of the area was, was a nice thing to watch. Jordan Henderson's improvement has been good. So the game was of, of decent quality. But if Adam Lallana had started, I reckon Liverpool would have got it, would have won the game. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. Uh, Anyway, guys, uh, thanks a lot for getting your questions in. We will also be starting up some new stuff on the YouTube channel where we answer questions that maybe didn't get answered on the podcast. Sometimes we just walk away and we have a little bit more time to think because obviously we're sifting through this on the very same night. Uh, So we're going to go through some of your concepts at some point. So over the next few weeks, there is going to be a little bit more stuff going up on the channel, uh, including Dave and Chris and all sorts of things. Anyway... Uh, it's been good to have you guys. Uh, Dave, thanks a lot for coming on. People can go uh, see you on Statman Dave. Yeah, Statman Dave on Twitter. Rebranded, refaced, reskinned, more passion, more fun. Chris, people can go find you as well. You've written some great stuff and, and obviously been tweeting well from our account this past week. Yes, uh, at K H E N E A G E. Um, we've got the Talking Hazard piece. I also did something on Usman Mane, the, the Verde Bremen. Uh, youngster that has gone from being a, a refugee in Germany to a Bundesliga match winner in two years. Excellent stuff. Uh, it's been fantastic to have you all. Keep tweeting in the hashtag I am the Holger. Follow us on Twitter at the front three. Um, and let Adam know that you missed him tonight at Adam Boltwood. Just a good guy. We love you very much. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. And we'll see you again real soon on TFB. Three.